Bangley Bang. On the Empire Podcast this week, we send our very own marathon running maniac to interview Gillian Bell, star of Britney Runs a Marathon. I'm usually the third, fourth, or 18th lead. So this is the first time where I've actually been the one that's like, I'm doing all of the press all of the time. All that and more on the movie podcast that is finally back in the studio after six weeks on the road, but still can't stop pausing for applause, you guys. <laughs> Where are they? I need the validation. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which is back in our glorious and not at all grey and depressing pod booth after the success of the mini tour. And if you didn't make it along to any of the live shows of the last six weeks, you can, of course, listen to them all, with the exception of our York show, which was attacked by gremlins, but we managed to salvage most of the Craig Roberts interview for your listening pleasure. And hey, if you fancy coming along to a live show, they're great fun and we'll be doing more next year. And that is a Chris Hewitt promise and that's not worth the paper it's printed on. Uh, But anyway, here we are back in the studio and this week it is back to our regularly scheduled podcasting, uh, which means I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First off, we didn't see you on the live tour, did we, John Nugent? But here you are. Finally, you were you were here on the emergency podcast. We this recorded the, the morning audience. after York. Yes. yes, where's your applause? I need applause. Well, I could that could have gone better. Quite frankly, how are you, John? I'm all right. I'm good. How are you? Um, if I'm honest, I've had better days. Good. Good small talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's going well. Next up, of course, is our geek queen, who was on every single live show. Exhausting. It is exhausting, isn't it? Yeah. Helen O'Hara. Hello. How are you? Oh, wait, yeah, I'm all right. On. Hang on. I mean, that's okay. I, I don't need it. I don't need the validation. I need the validation. Yeah, I know you do. I've, apl- I've employed people to applaud. You just applauded yourself. For people I, who are listening a, at home. I put a note in the Chris. paper. People needed to give me the clap. I'm surprised by that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, welcome, Helen. How was it? Um, yeah, good. Yeah, um, it was nice going around the country and seeing new places and not spending enough time there or no. getting to do anything when we were there because ah. we were too busy fiddling with microphones. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? Hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, we did stuff. We went to places. We you know, we didn't do a lot of sightseeing and touristy stuff. We didn't do any sightseeing or touristy stuff whatsoever. We did whatsoever. some touristy stuff in York. We had a little bit of time in York. We had no time in Liverpool. Actually, no, we did. We went. We, we had we had lunch in Liverpool. We had lunch. It was very nice lunch. lunch. Yeah, uh, we had we, nice lunches. Is basically all I remember. Of That's the, all of we got tour. to do. That was yeah. the only thing that wasn't checking microphones. The world's smallest violinist yeah, playing. Just for the but we went to, we went to a nice place called Marais in Liverpool. Marais, yes, on Bold I Street. I don't remember the name of the place in York, but it was in the shambles and it was nice. Mr. P's something. Mr. P's Tavern or Mr. something. Mr. P's yeah, ta- that was good. Curious Tavern or whatever it was. Um, and we went to Morn Seafood in Belfast, mm-hmm. which um, was my recommendation and they all complained and then really enjoyed it, yeah even James Dyer who uh, who went willingly to a seafood restaurant honestly if you if you've never known hell uh, if you want to know hell more accurately then go on a live tour with James Dyer and try and take him to places that serve mm. food that aren't First, Nando's that aren't Nando's or Subway or something like that and uh, what was it? One of the first places we wanted to go it was Edinburgh, right? So yeah. Edinburgh, I wanted to go to Tom Kitchen's, one of Tom Kitchen's places. Yeah. And we ended up in Southside Scran, which, uh, was, very which nice. was lovely, absolutely fantastic. And then James denounced the menu as silly food because it was by a Mission Star chef. And so basically anything we went to after that, because I, I like that sort of 
sure. a bit of a foodie, so I like that sort of stuff. And you know, but we couldn't go to any of those places. So I was amazed we got him into more and seafood because he, he doesn't like to eat seafood. So how no, the hell do we do that? To, to be clear, like more and seafood doesn't just have seafood; they have like fish and chips and yes. also other which foods. is seafood, in which is seafood. But like you know, it's <laughs> not like quote unquote seafood. Yes. And anyway. he did see food and he ate it. He did see and it, it and it eat it. Nice. So that was good. And I, was the important thing is that I got a weekend at home to actually go around the coast. I went to Derry. I saw the Derry Girls mural, which was very moving and important. I went out, uh, went across the border, the pillowy soft border to Grainan, which is uh, pillowy <laughs> did you, did you soft. Just, did you just dance across it um, and then dance yeah. back again? My dad had to point out where it was. I, I kind of missed it the first yeah. time we, went, we crossed. They're going to build a wall, a big, beautiful wall. Oh. <laughs> They better not. Anyway, it was really nice. So I had a lovely time, even if you it lasted long. buggers all went home. <laughs> yeah, in fairness, uh, yeah, we had things to do. You took some time yourself. I'm, I'm going back next week to Northern Ireland. But it was a great tour. We really enjoyed it. Thank you to everybody who came out. Um, we really appreciated the, the support. And meeting you guys at the meet and greets afterwards. Yeah, and, that was awesome. Uh, all the shows were really fun. And the guests were, were amazing, the people who came out. The likes of uh, Jack Loudon in Edinburgh, Craig Roberts in York, Dolly Wells in Liverpool. Uh, who did we have in Belfast? We had Lisa barros de and Glenn Leyburn and Jim Sturgis came across. And then in Brighton, of course, we had Karen Hardy, who broke the world record for <laughs> speed carving a pumpkin oh on a podcast. God. It was amazing. And uh, Ben Wheatley as well. And so thank you to all those guys. And uh, it was an amazing, amazing experience. And um, we will be back next year and hopefully doing more dates and slightly different cities as well. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I have to say, I won't say exactly which dates, but booking guests for a live show and asking people to come outside London is uh, is a really fun experience. And I hope you guys try it sometime. <laughs> and there's nothing quite sharpens the mind like waking up the day before a podcast and having no not guests. a single guest yes. and and having to you know. So thank you to the people who came at very short notice and bailed us out. Okay, so there we go. Yes, applause for them. Well done. All right, we're back in the studio now, and it means we're away from audience Q&As, and we're back on Twitter and Facebook and all that jazz. So we have a question, and it is from at Simon909. Is there a film series, brackets, more than three entries, close brackets, where the first part is the worst or the weakest? Hashtag Emperor Podcast. Have at it. I've got an answer, and Helen's not going to like this. Uh-oh. Is it No, I know what you're going to say, and it's wrong. Cap- is it Hamilton? Cap- Captain America. Yeah, it's completely wrong. Captain America. Oh. But in friends, I, I actually don't agree, disagree. It's the weakest of the three. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's just, yeah. it's the it's just two better and three than better. most of the other movies in the world. Um, Do you know who agrees with you? Martin Scorsese. <laughs> it's my favourite theme park trilogy. Yeah, it is. It's the best theme <laughs> right? park in the trilogy. <laughs> it's the, be- yeah, it's it's the, the best, best trilogy ride. in the theme park. There's a roller coaster in Thorpe Park that has a sequel in Alton Towers. Really? Inferno. Am I right in thinking there's like a Inferno sequel. Blast or something? I don't know. I've been on both of them, but it's the huh. idea that there's a franchise of, of roller coasters. What, is there some sort of narrative yeah. to this ride? Well, no, one's kind of fiery and the other one's not fiery. And on a cliffhanger. Uh, I did once go to a Hulk roller coaster ride in Universal Studios in Florida, which I assume has been renamed and rebranded and redone at, at some point since. But it was one of the great roller coaster rides of my life. So I feel like if you're going to be a theme park, at least be a Marvel theme park. Uh, anyway, that was going to be my answer as well, even though it's a magnificent film and wonderful and I love it. So <laughs> Technically, are we taking the, those movies? Because the whole MCU yeah. is, a, is a major 
is the franchise? But, or are we mm. saying the trilogies within those, that yeah, franchise? Yeah, sub-trilogies. Okay. You could also have a discussion about Fast and Furious. The first is not the weakest because it adheres extremely closely to the magnificent template that is Point Break. Mm-hmm. But it is also not the strongest. That series doesn't really hit its stride until the, the glorious Fast Five, and therefore you could argue that all films before that sort of underperformed. It's almost like it becomes a new series after Fast Five, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it turns yeah. into heist and action yeah. rather yeah. than just cars. And if you started again with Fast Five, so it really, really started with Fast and Furious. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so I say the Fast and Furious is maybe the weakest of the new rebooted Fast trilogy. Oh, this is a... Yeah. 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 That's not the, the answer that I had in my head whenever I started this. Um I would agree with Captain America. I would also say Thor is the weakest mm-hmm. of the Thor trilogy. Yeah. Oh, come oh on. no, no, it's not. No, no, no it's no. not. It's really Thor not. I just remembered the Thor trilogy. What? No, sorry. Sorry, my mistake. It's Thor the Dark World, which is the weakest of the Thor trilogy. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. But that's, that's not talking about superhero stuff because I can hear Marty and Ken, they're getting together and here's Francis Ford Coppola. Oh they're all, they're, they're, and they're forming this sort of huge cineast Scylla. They're going to storm... <laughs> Through, you know, Comic-Con, just smashing booths aside and... Mecha otter. Yeah, yeah, precisely, exactly like that. <laughs> it's like they, they come together. Not in a sex way, obviously, that would be terrible, but... And, they, and they're just denouncing superhero movies and saying, that's not cinema, that's not cinema. And so we don't want to incur their wrath by it's talking about these like, movies. It's kind of like a reverse Oprah, you know, Oprah going, and you get one to take home, and you get one to take home, and you get one. Whereas in, in, now we have like, and you're not cinema, and you're not cinema, and you're not cinema. <laughs> <sighs> Maybe it's all cinema. You ever consider that, Marty? Maybe it's all cinema. I don't know. Anyway, my answer sure. is The Evil Dead. Oh, that's fair. Interesting, yeah. That's fair. Which yeah. um, is a movie I love, I deeply, deeply love, and obviously I've been known to sing the praises of Evil Dead 2 in this podcast oh, really? from time to time. But I would say that Army of Darkness, as much as I think that movie is flawed, is still very, very funny. Mm-hmm. And from a pure kind of filmmaking point of view, I would say The Evil Dead is the weakest of that trilogy, just because of all the rough edges. And certainly there's an awful lot of Sam Raimi's style that still shines through. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's probably for me. I feel like some people will say John Wick. I just want to disagree with them. That's it. I, I think I, I would say John I think they've got progressively yeah. better. Like films. the action has, but I think that the first film is still the most elegant of the three in terms of storytelling. So sure. that's why I would disagree with those people who I'm sure are out there and shouting at their machines right now. I think you could say the same about Mad Max. Fury Road is probably the best yep. of that series. That's I true. think you could easily say, well... Beyond the Thunderdome was not that great. Yeah, uh, yeah. I tried good, to watch so. it a couple of years ago and I was not loving it at all. Let's go through some franchises. So, uh, Star Wars. The first entry is, of course, as we all know, Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. And now oh is... <laughs> <laughs> New Hope is not the weakest or no. the worst in the Star Wars trilogy. No. James Bond, Doctor No. Mm. Now, some people would say that that's a classic. Would they? I can't um, tell them apart. I've I've seen. It's all the of one them. with Doctor No. He's the one in the white suit. Uh, this is the one where uh, the Bond shoots the man in cold blood. Does that help? No. No. This is the one where Bond has sex with a lady. Mm, don't narrow it down. No, 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 no. He drives uh, a car. He drives a car. He drives a car. Uh-huh. There is a great big set piece on a massive oil rig type thing at the end. Does that help narrow it down at all? Honestly, no. I, I genuinely like. I, they all blur into one kind of amorphous, just yeah. fuzz. 
Growing up in Northern Ireland, I used to think that uh, Ian Paisley was Dr. No. Huh. He'd be more like Reverend Dr. No, wouldn't he? Reverend, Reverend Dr. No. Reverend Dr. No! <laughs> Bit of politics there for you. Oh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. <laughs> the uh, Harry Potter. Harry Potter oh, yeah. and the Philosopher's Stone. That's a good oh, shot. That's, that's a very good that's, show. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a wiki. Because, <laughs> because the second one does get better because it has Kenneth Branagh in it. An instant improvement uh, when Gilderoy Lockhart comes in, you see, because he actually peps things up a little bit. Whereas the first one, you know, not I've, so much. I've only seen the first two Harry Potters and that's what? as far as I got. What? Yeah. But you've worked through the tough bit. Now you get to no, enjoy. No, that was, my goodwill was It's expanded. all gravy, baby. All gravy. I mean, there's a few lumps in the gravy there when David Yates there, takes over. There, I don't, you hate David Yates. I don't hate David Yates. I don't hate David Yates. I just, like I just denounce him and his work. <laughs> Die Hard. D- w- w- no, that's no. really not. Obviously not. I'm just going through a list of franchises. Oh, right. here. Alien. No. 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 Stupid. Jack Ryan. Now, the first one technically in that franchise is The Hunt, Hunt for Red, Red October. October. Which is also mm. the best one in that franchise, so that's definitely not the case. See, Clear and Present Danger no, is... No, I'm sorry. Is, no, it's is, great, but it's no, it's no Hunt for Red October. Oh, no. You're, no, you're no, right. Don't. It's no Hunt for Red October. It's like Hunt for Red October. But worse. better. Worse. Okay, that's good. That's good that we can agree. Uh, the Fewest Universe. Clerks. That's arguable. Is it though? In a, okay, yeah. so considering what it's up against, so it was uh, Jason Amy, that's, that's brilliant. Jen Silent Bob Strike Back. I really enjoyed that. I, I like it as well, but okay, I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, Mole Rats? Mole Rats is worse than Clerks. I think that's, yeah. that's yeah. fairly well, universally. Yeah, okay. yeah. All right, so not Clerks either. Dirty Harry is Dirty Harry. I'm just going through a list here. Rocky is Rocky, so that's no. Yeah. Batman. Tim Burton's Batman. It's no. not the worst. No? No, not not even close. Okay. Terminator. Hello, Batman and Robin. Uh, this is very, very true. But Batman Begins, maybe. Nope, it's the best of the three. What? That's right, oh, wow. I said it. Wow. Okay, welcome to Helen's controversial <laughs> opinions. <laughs> X-Men. Uh, no. No, because there's some absolute stone-cold stinkers that come after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. I'm going to say that is the worst. Although it's the most number boring. five, number five is Final Frontier. Great. Terrible. Yeah. Uh, but okay, okay. Number five though has the scene where he's climbing El Capitan, and number one has zero redeeming features. So maybe it is. You think number one, one has zero redeeming features? Yes. With those like flesh-colored uniforms that go over their boots, they're so horrific. But isn't number one interesting because of what it tries to do and, and how different it is and how it's more influenced by 2001 than Star Wars? And, you know, uh, Robert Wise is actually going for something uh, missing by considerable distance, you, yeah. would, you, you could say. But uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So there you go. That's our, that's our answer. And then you go into the, the horror movie kind of sector. Usually uh, the first one's the best there. Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Friday the 13th. I'm trying to think of through some other franchise, yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, generally speaking... It's Don't very, be the best or second that's best. That's a very good yeah. point. Generally speaking, apart from the greatest movie of all time, Evil Dead 2, as we've discussed, uh, you know, first is straight out mm. the gate. So there we go. I hope that answered Simon 909's question to his satisfaction. Uh, if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast, you can get in touch with us via a number of methods. I haven't done this for ages. I know. Wow. Don't say it. Whoa. Can I do this from memory? Yes, I can. Uh, thanks John I need it I need the validation um, you can get in touch with us on Twitter we're at Empire Magazine use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it you can get in touch with us on Facebook although quite frankly why would you bother we never check it and there's also email as well podcast at empireonline.com alright now it's time to talk about this week's movie news stuff that broke after our live show in Belfast last week and there was some stuff right 
Yeah, there's been there's been some stuff. We we recorded an entire separate podcast on the Star Wars Rise of Skywalker trailer, so we probably mm. shouldn't get too deep into that. Um, but uh, I don't think there are any spoilers in there for the simple reason that we don't know any spoilers. <laughs> there might be a spoiler. Um, we might have stumbled. We upon... might have stumbled upon the whole <laughs> the whole truth of it. Yeah, you never know. But um, we don't know. Um, so so that's up. But suffice to say, I thought it was an extremely exciting trailer, and I'm all in for it. Chris was a bit more. I'm a little bit more in the yet-to-be-convinced camp, uh, but you know that's 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 fine. We, this this booth contains multitudes, yeah. and uh, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm still looking forward to the film. I think it's yeah, as I said in the podcast, hey, it's this or cats. So I'm I'm all in <laughs> for the rise of Skywalker. Did you see what I tweeted last night about cats? Though this no. this may have gotten me back on board with the entire film. The official cats social media account appears to follow only one other account, and the account that it follows is red laser pointer. Oh, that's okay, that's pretty funny. That's pretty that's genius. Like I I, that, I thought that was really impressive. But so, can we them. be back on board with a film that looks like quite frankly, I'm <laughs> sorry, you know, Marty's training his little lasers on on the on Marvel movies when Cats is coming out, Marty. I mean, <laughs> have you seen the trailer? Honestly, what's what's going on? Can we give a film a pass because the person monitoring the social media account is pretty savvy? I don't know. Um, hey, let's get into movie news, though. Well, I was going to say, speaking of uh, social media accounts and people being pretty savvy, did you see the Avatar thing this week? Oh, laugh. yeah. Made me laugh a lot. Oh, that was great. It was very, very funny. Hang on. Let me, let me see if you can find it. Yeah. It's gone. Oh, did they delete it? They deleted it. Oh, that's a shame. Okay. Those mothers. It was, so I've, I've found a, like a screenshot-ish. So, you know, that, that sort of Twitter meme where you have a handshake oh, yeah, emoji yeah. and it's carbs four avatar sequels people claiming oh, no one needs oh, very them. good yeah. yeah so it was it was very self-aware and and uh i thought uh, very 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 funny as well and yeah. then they've deleted it which is a bit of a shame because clearly someone's gone hang on we shouldn't be casting aspersions on our own sequels here um it's, it's great but, a bit of navi sass absolutely i also thought it might be a prelude in some way to the dropping of a surprise teaser that mm-hmm. they were going, hey, you think you don't need four Avatar sequels in your life? And then, boom, here comes the, the teaser or the trailer. And then I realized that we're still two years out from the first film, the second film. Yeah. And uh, I thought that might be a little early for a trailer. But uh, I'm all for social media being funny. Um, but I'm still not sure that the, the film's going to be... I mean, come on. Well, no. I mean, it's no. cats. So yeah. they've got shit to work with. Yes. Um, so there are some other stories, however. Um, this morning, Paddy Jenkins appears to have confirmed the identity of Pedro Pascal's character in Wonder Woman 1984. So if you are worried about it being a spoiler, I, first of all, they wouldn't have confirmed it if it was. But if, it, if you are so worried, you know, maybe fast forward a couple of minutes. But Pedro Pascal will be playing Maxwell Lord. <gasps> Yes. No. Yes. And as we all know, well, you should know, he's a he's a businessman who is, he's been an interesting figure actually in um, DC Comics history. He is generally a supervillain, but that's mostly because his big idea is setting up his own kind of rival to the Justice League. And so he's often had been trying to set up his own rival super team and take over sort or, of world protection that way. He's not always a simple criminal mastermind type. What, what are they called? The Justice Division. I forget, honestly. Mm, the so. Injustice League. <laughs> they probably have a better marketing team than that. Ah. But there, there is a very famous story. And again, this is not, I'm not saying this is a spoiler because this is just something that happened in the comics. We have no reason to believe this will happen in the film. But in the comics, 
Wonder Woman ended up killing him in fairly cold blood because she saw there was no other way to stop him long term. He was going to keep going with this kind of insane plan um, and going and going and going and there was no other way to do it. And so she decided to kill him Seems to a bit harsh. protect yeah, the rest of the mm. of the Justice League from having to do it and was shunned and basically exiled from the Justice League for a while as a result. It was a huge, huge thing in the comics. She ended up, I think, being stripped of the title of Wonder Woman for a while Diana Prince did and uh, yeah it was massive so I don't know if there, there's going to be any of that kind of repercussion in this film I don't know if any of that is going to happen what I do know is I, I did see his name on set so I already knew this what? and I've been sitting oh. on it ever since and I'm a bit annoyed that it came out before I could break it but fine how dare Patty Jenkins do this <laughs> how dare she control her own narrative yeah. Um, but yeah so it, it's but it's good to know that it's out there at last and I don't have to work, watch what I say anymore that's nice. exciting. And Excellent. also, uh, we, we had news this week that the Wonder Woman trailer, uh, uh-huh. Wonder Woman 1984 trailer, is out on December 8th. Ooh, They're that's... revealing it at Sao Paulo Comic Con. Oh, but is... that's too far away. Hang on, that's in, that's in, that's in Brazil. Yes, it is. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> I have nothing further to say. <laughs> Uh, also, Adam Driver news. Um, there was a fantastic profile of him in the New Yorker this week that everybody should read. He's that's wonderful. a magazine. Thanks, Chris. But he's in also in talks. <laughs> I need the applause. Don't give him validation. <laughs> Don't do it. There's also news that he's in talks to join the Last Duel, which is this uh, Ben mm. Affleck, Matt Damon love story. Sorry, um, no, it's not. It's a duel between them. That's upsetting. <laughs> um, that already stirs. Do you want Jody it to be a Ben Affleck, Matt Damon like love story? Like you wouldn't watch it. What, two hours of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon just kissing and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, watch that. <laughs> anyway, so that's happening. It's Ridley Scott directing, obviously, so everybody wants a part of that. So, yeah, Adam Driver going in there as well. This mm. is the thing. We, we've talked about this movie in the, on the, in the, uh, in the past because mm. it, it's, uh, it's a set in the 14th century, I believe. It's mm. based on a true story mm-hmm. or, you know, historical documents yeah. of this true story. So basically... And it's, it's received some flack because it yeah. revolves around the... It could be troubling. It could of, be troubling. Yes. So basically, we don't know which characters Damon and Affleck are playing, right? But one of them goes off on the crusades. And when he comes back, his wife, who's played by jo- Jodie Comer, we believe, mm-hmm. uh, says that the other one raped her, right? And he denies it. Yes. The, the, the alleged rapist denies it. And the king basically decides that the way to settle this is... They will duel. That might is right and will show who done it. So if the alleged rapist wins, she will be burned at the stake for lying. And if, obviously, if her husband wins, then he'll have to kill his best friend. Wow. So the stakes are high, but it does... The, the, the concern was it has the potential to, you know, reignite the, the, the old claims that, you know, women lie frequently about rape, which is statistically not the case. Yes. So it's that that's I think the bit that has troubled people. But Nicole Holofsner is yes. um, one co-wrote. of the co-writers. Yes. So we've got to hope that she has sort of balanced the script in such a way yes. that that won't be obnoxious. Mm. Indeed, I have seen some people condemning this movie sight unseen, and I think let's just give it a, give it a go. I've seen let's people be chance. wary of it sight yes. unseen, and I think that's fair with well, a, with I, I a saw, majority male. I saw someone uh, the other week when Jodie Comer was cast going. Why does she have to take shit roles like this? And it's like it may not be a shit role. This may win her an Oscar. You know, it may she, be a great role. She is also playing the wife of someone who's twenty years older than her, though, which is again not ideal. Not ideal, but uh, that's I, my new guest is Dennis Quaid, and he oh, is. God. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but also that may not be historically inaccurate. 
Uh, it absolutely could be, though, because so, yeah. everybody tended to die young in those days, so everybody tended to get married young. You wouldn't have got, you wouldn't have got to Ben Affleck's age, a exactly. ripe old 40-whatever he is. Uh, in more exciting news, there's a couple of great TV projects. Um, Apple is making Foundation, which is the Isaac Asimov story, which is a, an amazing, amazing book. I have no idea how you successfully adapt it on screen. Well, I'll tell you who's starring in it first. Jared Harris and Lee Pace. Super good, happy, Lightness on board. People. Yeah, yep. very, very good people. So the idea of Foundation is that a group of sort of mathematician historians can predict the future because they've... And there's actually elements of this in the real world, like huge data sets can predict massive social movements. They can predict your individual future. They can predict Brexit, let's say, right? So um, <laughs> they, these mathematician historians basically see that the galactic empire that exists is about to crumble. And they have a little bit of time, so they set up a planet. Um, they're called psychohistorians, technically, but anyway. They set up a planet to preserve the knowledge of the empire, to preserve the knowledge of basically everything, to survive the intervene- the next 2,000 years, which are going to be otherwise barbarous and everybody fighting everybody else and just complete chaos. So that's what the foundation is. It's a planet with all the knowledge of the universe set up to survive 2,000 years of barbarianism. So it's a really cool idea. I would imagine that they've cast Jared Harris as the guy behind all this, Harry Seldon. I don't know for sure, but that would be interesting. Um, It's going to need a heavy adaptation to make it work, but the the basic ideas are really, really interesting. And Rupert Sanders is directing this. Yeah. So he's the guy behind... Snow White and the Huntsman and Ghost in the Shell. So we know it'll look pretty. Yeah, don't let that put you off. <laughs> <laughs> we know it might need some serious storytelling, you know, yeah. stuff in the script. But yeah. I, I think it could be good. I hope it will be good. And also in TV news, Joseph Moll has joined Amazon's Lord of the Rings TV series. He will apparently be a bad guy called Oren. That's all I got. Okay. And these characters are drawn from Miranda yeah, Silmarillion, the uh, I mean, second, yeah. It's hard to say. But, it's hard uh, to say. Uh, he's good. He's a good actor. Good actor. Very good actor. So, yeah. yeah, happy with that. And uh, Michael Mann is going to direct a pilot for HBO called Tokyo Vice mm. as well. He's the creator of Miami Vice, of course. Um, although I have to say, I want to see Michael Mann movies. You guys, I don't want to see Michael Mann directing a pilot, no matter how stylish or slick it may be for HBO. I want to see him get back behind the camera on a movie again. And there's a slight sense that he might be in slight movie jail after Black Hat didn't do that well and mm. cost quite a lot of money, and which is ludicrous because he's Michael goddamn man. But anyway, uh, so he is directing a pilot. Someone who is directing a movie, mm-hmm. finally. We've had people asking the podcast over the last few years, which director would we like to see direct again? My answer usually is Sam Raimi because it's been bloody ages mm-hmm. since All is a Great and Powerful. Long time, in fact. 2013? Oh, geez, yeah. I think it was 2013. Since then, he's, he's flirted with a number of projects. Hasn't quite come to fruition on anything. Uh, but he is apparently signed on to direct a new horror movie, which is described as Misery meets Castaway. And about it, uh, little else is known. But I'm excited about the idea of Sam Raimi, director of, of course, the aforementioned Evil Dead 2, mm. Drag Me to Hell, all sorts of good stuff as well. Directing a new horror film. I am there for that if it gets made. Yeah, yeah it is exciting. Very much so. Um, another director who hasn't we haven't seen in a while is Neil Blomkamp. Uh-huh. He is back. He's yes. got a new project because he was kind of going to direct an alien film and then that sort of didn't happen. 
Um, and he was sort of in limbo a little bit. He's been quite active on social media, though, but he's now announced his new project, which is called Inferno. Um, dun, 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 wait, dun. Wasn't, didn't Tom Hanks already make that? Not that Inferno. Oh, okay. Isn't that the roller coaster at Alton Towers? Not that, that Inferno. About? Okay. Okay. Isn't that Dante's book? Not that Inferno. Okay. Which Inferno is it? This is a brand new Inferno. Inferno? Not that Inferno. No, this is an original film, original script, original idea, never been seen or heard of before. He's working in sci-fi again, so it looks like a bit of a mix between cops and aliens. Uh, And Taylor Kitsch plays, uh, I think, a cop who investigates what looks like an ordinary murder in the New Mexico desert, but then... Oh, my God. Aliens. Aliens. Roswell. Roswell. That's That's New Mexico. Yep. Oh, my God. Well, yep. Your geography is just off the chain today. My God. Sao Paulo is in Brazil. <laughs> so true. I Roswell mean... is in New Mexico. Wow. Thank anyway. Um, so yeah. that's that's exciting. Neil Blomkamp, I like him. He's good. He is good. Sometimes. Is he, though? Uh, he was in that one film. Yes, precisely. So and since then, Elysium and Chappie have uh, have kind of the, the bloom is off the rose a little bit so I, I, I've said this before in the podcast but I feel that whatever he does next and if this is his next movie then he needs to knock it out of the park otherwise he's he's had one good film in four Chappy knock it out to the park Chappy not knock it out of the park Chappy, Chappy direct movie no okay. Chappy Chappy bit rubbish um, hey another director who's back after a little bit, bit of a break is Ben Zeitlin um, who made Beasts of the Southern Wild a few mm. years back that was Eight years, nearly, um, which was a fantastic, fantastic, incredibly stylish debut. Um, he's back with a film called Wendy, which is essentially the Peter Pan story, but kind of reimagined from the point of view of Wendy herself. So the synopsis goes, Lost in a mysterious island where ageing and time have come unglued, Wendy must fight to save her family, her freedom, and the joyous spirit of young from the deadly peril of growing up. So yeah, that I'm I'm here for it. That sounds really interesting. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I'm up for that Wendy film. Um, and then two last bits of news. And then I, I tried not to talk about this stuff because I don't want Marty and Ken and Francis to get annoyed with oh, the God. Empire podcast. But I think they do keep sailed. They do keep. Yeah, Marty's listening to all these episodes. Why do they keep talking about Marvel? Um, <laughs> We have to talk about some superhero movie news because that's the stuff they keep making. You know? Mm-hmm. It's not cinema, guys, but they do keep making it. So we do have to keep talking about it. And that's just how the, the cookie crumbles. And so the first things first, Michael Cicchino uh, is going to write the music score, uh-huh. if you will. Sure. The Batman. Mm. The Batman. Reeves. And uh, uh, this was confirmed. This was announced slash confirmed last week. So if anyone listened to the Michael Cicchino, David Arnold interview special podcast, we put up last week and I heartily recommend it because those dudes are hilarious they had a show last week at the Royal Albert Hall and I went along on Friday night and uh, at one point it was really really funny it was an amazing night great music very very funny stuff and at one point Chiquino brought up Matt Reeves to introduce so have to set the scene here a little bit the show was composed of various rounds so I think round two was their giant monsters round so David Arnold came out dressed as Godzilla he came out dressed in a Godzilla costume and uh, started to introduce Godzilla. And then Michael Cicchino came out and went, no, this isn't funny, this isn't working. And besides, my monster movie is much better than your monster movie because I got the director here, Matt Reeves, the director of Cloverfield. So out comes Matt Reeves and there's David Arnold in the Godzilla costume. And Matt Reeves is like, oh, we've made four films together, you and I, Michael, and it's great and I want to say something, but it's really awkward because David's there. But then he got down on one knee and went, will you score the Batman for me 
And Michael goes, yes, yes, a thousand times, yes. And the whole place, <laughs> the whole place erupts and everyone applauds. Oh. You know, applause. Adorable. Oh, I love oh, yeah. uh, a bit of applause. And um, except for David Arnold, who, and again, I must emphasize this, is dressed as Godzilla, <laughs> turns around and his little Charlie Brown head drops oh. and, he's, and he slinks off the stage oh. <laughs> to, to, to a chorus of ours. So yes, Michael Cicchino, who is, I think, a phenomenal composer, mm-hmm. is going to produce The Batman and uh, this really, I think, increases the chances of yet another bitchin' Batman theme, guys. Mm. Yeah. It really does. I mean, he has so many, doesn't he? Mm. Yes, who can forget the Dark Knight's what are you doing? What is that? That's that's the Dark Knight theme. That's isn't not it? the no the Batman theme. The, the Hans Zimmer uh, James Newton Howard Batman theme is what I just did. What you know when it? he's on a boat and he's trying to get people. No, that's but that's it's only two notes, but it's still pretty powerful. You'll know it if you hear it. Is yeah, it on a trombone or something? Then there's what? the Danny Elfman theme. There's yeah. the Neil Healthy theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's what else? What else is a good theme for Batman? For Batman. Uh, those I quite like the um, the Hans Zimmer one for from uh, Dawn of Justice. Couldn't hum it for you, but it's pretty damn good. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. Hopefully, Chikina will knock it out of the park. And then there's uh, someone who's writing Doctor Strange for um, Marvel. Who's that? What? Who's that? Oh, I don't, I'm... Doctor Strange? Marvel? Oh, God, don't say those words! Doctor Strange. It's not the Marvel. Empire Theme Park podcast. Oh, God. Ken Loach in the Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Would um, watch. <laughs> would, would absolutely watch. Um, so, this was announced last week, and I got a little bit worried about this, I'll be honest with you guys. So, it was announced that a new writer has come on board to write Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, mm-hmm. or at least co write it. And that is Jade Bartlett, who is a new hot writer on the Hollywood scene. And uh, she's been brought aboard Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Now, the reason that this may be slightly worried is because I began to think that maybe Scott Derrickson is bound for the exit door. Right. Did anyone see the, the post he put up on Instagram just after this news was announced? No, I heard which about was a bizarre, grotesque image of a giant man baby huge giant man baby with Mickey Mouse's head and lots of tubes coming out of him and lots of gunk and gunge was being siphoned out of this giant Mickey Mouse man baby that was revolving around on some sort of giant plinth. Are you eating too much cheese before bed? It's genuinely a thing that he posted. <laughs> and then he posted something else about how you know he's always in his career, has always valued the collaboration and whatnot. And, sure. And I wondered if there was maybe a subtle hidden message there that perhaps this writer had been brought in above his head ah. as you know as has been Marvel's want from time to time because also I'd heard that the the script originally the script by C. Robert Cargill and Scott Derrickson for Multiverse of Madness was excellent so right. why they're bringing in a new writer at this stage I'm not entirely sure but this is all speculation and supposition on my part as far as we know Scott Derrickson is still the director of Doctor Strange 2 and uh, and I hope that continues uh, to be the case because he did a damn good job in the first one and hope he does a damn good job in the second one. It isn't cinema, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> it wasn't cinema, was it? That bit where the city started folding in themselves and these people started running around and the buildings started moving around and the guys go through the trippy, the trippy sequence through the, the multiverse, including images that you've never seen before in your life. No, nonsense obviously cinema. wasn't cinema no. but hey I certainly yeah. never didn't see it on a cinema screen that's nope, for sure yeah. I, I turned my back on it actually and I shunned it 
you know what? It's a valuable conversation to have, right? It, it is. is, isn't it? It's a worthwhile thing to talk about, you know, the place for independence of thought in current studio filmmaking. That's interesting. Slagging off Marvel is a little bit less interesting, but, you know, sure. It's a conversation that has been had quite a lot. <laughs> quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Quite anyway. a lot. Anyhow. Anyway, we love Martin Scorsese. We yes. do. We love the Marvel films. Yeah, we do. The two can exist. Oh my yes. God, you just put your hands together. I did. Imagine. I know. <laughs> what do you think? I have to say, I bought that t-shirt this week, guys. I don't know if you saw it, the, the t-shirt where someone had, had taken the, the words Martin Scorsese and put them in the Marvel Studios logo. And I just love that. So That's I, amazing. I, I bought yeah. it. It has been dispatched. Turns out I may have bought a cheap knockoff. So, hey, hey let's, see, <laughs> let's see how that works out. Anyway, I think it's pretty much it for the movie news. I mm-hmm. think so. Oh, uh, one more Marvel thing. Kevin Feige and the Russos are going to appear in an episode of The Simpsons, which will be Avengers-centric. <gasps> huh. And uh, the reason I mentioned that is because we'll probably have to do a spoiler special for it at some point as well. So that's clearer schedules for that. Anyway, there it is. That's the movie news out of the way. Well done. Hurrah. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel the same, if I'm honest with you. We need to get an audience of at least 50 people in here. That would be crowded. And, and health and safety would kick <laughs> off. Yeah. Yeah. All sorts of fire regulations would be broken. Anyway, should we have a guest? Sure. Yeah. All right. So Gillian Bell is a fast rising star in the Hollywood firmament. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, she's uh, been in a couple of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, mm-hmm. the likes of The Master and Inherent Vice. But she's made her name. Uh, she's an improviser. She's an improvisational comedian. And she made her name as the bad guy in 22 Jump Street and is now starring in this week's Britney Runs a Marathon, in which her character, Britney... Yep. Runs a marathon. So, spoiler. I know. Naturally, when she came into London this week, there was only one person on the Emperor podcast team who could possibly do this interview, and that is her very own marathon running maniac, <laughs> Helen O'Hara, who this weekend, I shit you not, will be running her 27th marathon. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh, which is incredible. Where, where is it? Where are you running? Um, I'm doing Beachy Head. So if you're there, come and say hello. Um, I will be suffering mightily, and it's it's a horrible marathon. It's beautiful, like it's amazing. I don't know why I signed up again. Hang I on, don't have a, to do it. You no, know, but I did no... it. I did it last time, and it was hell on earth. And some, well, somehow, so let's do it again. They offered me ten percent off, and I'm like, sure. You know, it's an early what? booking. Ten percent off the distance. <laughs> I win. Actually, it is slightly shorter than a traditional marathon distance, and they obviously give it a pass because it's insane. Like the last ten k are the Seven Sisters, which you no, know. No, 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 yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah, 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 those. yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Seven Sisters are in England, guys. Thanks, Chris. Anyway, so Gillian Bell. Gillian Bell, yes. Oh, yeah. But hang on a second. So you're running across grass and stuff? Yeah. Got my trail shoes on. It's going to be good. Well, I say good. Hell. This could be Helen's last podcast. So uh, <laughs> give it up for Helen and her. And anyway, here she is talking to Gillian Bell. Um, it was a fun conversation. Enjoy. Gillian, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Thanks Thank for joining you. us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Brittany runs a marathon, premiered at Sundance in January. Does it feel like you've run a marathon in kind of publicity terms it's been a long process <laughs> it has and definitely for me it's the first you know I, I'm usually the third fourth or 18th lead <laughs> so this is the first time where I've actually been the one that's like I'm doing all of the press all of the time but it's been really wonderful and it's kind of been like a slow burn you know it's mm-hmm. which is nice like it's, marathon pace yeah, yeah. marathon it is it is a marathon you take your time with it <laughs> 
And it's been really cool to watch people discover the film and have their own experience with it and, mm. and relate to it. Mm-hmm. It's been so, wonderful. So what's been the kind of most surprising reactions for you? Were you You know, how many, how many men respond to it and relate to the character, which is great because I often feel that not to put a, a judgment on, on guys, but there's there's a lot of, you know, women can imagine playing Peter Pan or Wendy, but men don't often yeah. do the same. And so it's cool to hear from men that, that they see themselves in this mm. character. That's yeah. been really wonderful. And also that... I've heard from a lot of people, they're like, I finally feel seen on on screen. And that's a really cool feeling. I feel like there's stuff in here that anybody is going to relate to. Not just about running, but like talking about Britney's friends at the beginning of the film, for example. There are some unhealthy relationships in her life and everybody's had that at some point. Yeah, toxic friendships. Mm. And that's definitely, especially like in your... In your 20s is when you start to realize, oh, this person might not want the best things for me. They <laughs> they may want to hang out with me, but they're they're happier when when things aren't going as well for mm-hmm. me. And to to sort of get rid of those relationships. Yeah. And I think people also just connect to wanting to do something bigger with their lives. I mean, who doesn't feel that way and and or achieve something that feels outside of their comfort zone? Very far out side of a comfort zone yes. in this case literally as well as sort of figuratively yeah because that doesn't look comfortable those first runs no no and you're a runner you've done <laughs> how many marathons 27 20 well, 27 this weekend hopefully wow yeah. congratulations so well but very slow ones i'm genuinely like britney at the start of the film kind of pace you yes know? i'm sort of plodding but you're away. doing it but i'm doing it yeah which That's is wonderful great. but yeah that first run where she goes out in the wrong shoes the wrong outfit yes you know looking like she's literally carrying the world on her shoulders Barely makes it around the block. I feel like everybody's had that run. I feel oh, like yeah. even fast people have had that run. Yeah, that was very similar to my first run when I started uh, training. Because when I got the script, I sort of decided, okay, I want to do as much of the physical journey I can mm-hmm. to relate to this character. Because so much of it, I was like, this is plucked out of my own life. But there were other things that I was like, I've, I've never been a runner. I've never lost a lot of weight. So I just thought I'm, I'm going to start training and I would like to lose the same amount as the character does. So I lost 40 pounds. I wow. lost 29 pounds before we shot and I lost 11 pounds during shooting. And it really connected me to what she was going through. Mm-hmm. But that first run specifically, I had... My sister, my sister and I live together, cool brag. Oh, okay, um, me too. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you love it? It's sometimes. Oh, yes. sometimes. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, well, we are like best friends. And I had her tape me running because I wanted to see how I was holding my body, you know, the, the positioning yeah. of everything and how I was clenching my fists a little too tight and definitely wearing the wrong pants. I was wearing like loose sweatpants and they were falling oh, the yeah. entire time. So. I thought some of this is useful and I'll relate it to Paul and see if there's anything that he yeah. can add in there. Because he's friends with the real Britney. This is your director. He knows yes. Britney. He wrote a film about his friend. Yes. Right? They met in college and then in their mid-20s, they reunited and decided to live together as roommates. And uh-huh. they got into deep conversations about where they saw their lives going and, and how they wanted to do bigger things for themselves. And wow. and out of that, she went for her first run. And, and he told me, you know, basically that's where he thought this could be a movie. You uh-huh. know, someone who's kind of always been like fine being the butt of the joke and, and being the funny gal and, and then decides to pursue this big dream. And 
how relatable that is, mm-hmm. like how scary it is too when you when you decide to go for something that feels very out of um, your comfort zone. Again, it's the shifting friendship rules. If you've been the funny one in the group and you're suddenly like not available every single night to go out. Exactly. Suddenly you're challenging like Not the whole down structure. to go get ice cream every night like mm. you typically would. People don't know where to put you. And you also feel like, well, that's what I'm known for. That's mm-hmm. what I've made my worth. Yeah. So it's exploring what it's like if you decide to make any kind of change, big or small. Paul tells a great story about coming out of the closet and how one of his friends who was straight was saying he was jealous because straight people don't have that equivalent of saying like, you know what, I've been living my life a certain way and I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh-huh. I'm going to be this person now. Right, we, yeah. we we don't really have that. And I just think that's a very interesting story. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's interesting because often it's so embarrassing to say, okay, so I've been putting on this front for a very long time and I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be self-deprecating or, you know, put myself in a situation that doesn't feel right to me anymore. Mm. It can be confusing for people. So I think sometimes we just write it out too long. (laughs) But this is a film that you were involved with for, I think, was it seven months before it came to to actually shooting? So what happened during that time? Was there were there rewriting? Was it just a matter of getting the financing in place? No, we always planned to go like seven months from oh, okay. then. It's just I had the script much longer than right. anyone else did. Part of it I was glad about because I was able to do training on my own mm-hmm. and try to do healthy meals and see what that felt like and then get a real trainer and work towards it that way. You know, the real Brittany didn't have all of that. So mm-hmm. I wanted to do as much of that on my own as I could. But, you know, I didn't know exactly exactly like what meal plans to do and how much to be running and and building up my stamina and and all of that so eventually I did get one mm. but it was it was nice to have that time to not only prep the film because I'm in every scene of this movie so I wanted to memorize it as if it was a play and and rehearse it a lot just on my own so that I could kind of get in that emotional state mm. naturally if you know, if it turned out it was raining one day and we had to go shoot something inside and that happened to be a very emotional scene, I wanted to be able to pull that out right. very quickly. So that part was good. The hard part was living with it for seven months <laughs> and not knowing, you know, because for me at least, that first day and getting into the character and being this vulnerable, playing this specific character was terrifying for mm-hmm. me. I didn't want to screw it up because I cared about it so much. And I care about all the projects that I do, even if it's I did one day on a movie playing a woman who uh, like shat herself. And I was like, oh, I really want to be good in that scene. You know, like I really care about it. I've got to deliver that line. I got to really <laughs> deliver that line. Well, um, but it but it's so it, it's just who I am. I really yeah. like. I, I want to do well, and I have the fear of I'm going to be the thing that ruins whatever I'm in. <laughs> so um, that combination is, is yeah. hard. One of the, th- the things that really struck me in a film, because I feel like it's something that we 
we haven't really seen on screen is Britney's own really messed up relationship with her body. So we keep getting sort of talked to about body positivity and how we've all got to yes. love ourselves and be very accepting. And that's not necessarily easy or natural for people. And I feel like this is one of the few films I've seen that really acknowledges that that's hard. Yeah, we didn't shy away from it. No, Paul didn't shy away from it in the script, and I thought that was great. Mm. He also, within that, talks about what it's like for Britney's character. Uh, she basically decides to do something for a good reason, for a healthy reason. Mm -hmm. And then once she loses weight while she's training, yeah. she sees how society, specifically men, are treating her differently. They're holding doors for her. They're asking her, you know, are you going out on a date tonight? And she starts to value that mm -hmm. and be more obsessed with the number on the scale right, yeah. than, you know, her time running outside. And then she has to figure out her own values. Mm -hmm. And that's what I loved about this film. That's what I could get behind. Because there's a lot of movies that talk about, that do like a, a sort of transformation story. Yeah. And it, it's usually it's just a montage. A woman loses weight and their life is great. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not learning anything from that story. Mm. And it's not always what happens in real life. There's an emotional journey that you go through. And if this character hadn't worked on her insides the way she works on her outsides, it wouldn't have been interesting to mm. me. And without giving anything away about Britney's journey, you went to the marathon, the New York marathon to film. Yes. So yes. We got to shoot a little bit of the marathon and I'd never been around a marathon before. Mm. That was my first time. And that energy, it was, I mean, 50,000 people going for the same goal. Yeah. Having, sharing the same dream and, and motivating themselves and, and just being in the zone and, and you can feel it. I, I'm, I'm not surprised you've done so many. If you can do it <laughs> once, I would keep doing it. The crowds on those big city marathons. I haven't been to New York, but mm. like on here in London, the crowd is insane. They're yeah, so pumped. Absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah. They keep people going. People would absolutely not as many people would finish that marathon if the crowds weren't there. Wow. Do you feel like you want to do more kind of roles like this in the future? Like more kind of dramatic-y? Because this feels like an indie drama, not so much like yeah, a comedy. Yeah, I would like to. I would like to keep switching it up. Yeah. I think if I had a career that I sort of wanted to emulate a little bit, it would be like John C. Riley. Like John C. Riley has been able yes. to do drama and, and really fun, over-the-top broad comedies and a musical. He was in Chicago. Yeah. And really out there, weird Adult Swim yeah. television shows. So I just think it's fun to just switch it up yeah. every once in a while. Boogie Nights and Talladega Nights. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> and what else have you got coming up? I think you had a small role in Bill and Ted. Is that right? I do. Oh, I my do. God. I know. It was so cool to get to see them so is it, do those characters. Were you playing Is it a, a couples therapist? Is that right? Yeah. Yes. I know. I can't tell too much <laughs> okay. about it, unfortunately. But I I will say that uh, getting to see them get back in character, I was there for their first scene when they were getting back. Oh, my back. God. People are going to be so excited to see them in this thing. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Were you a fan back in the day when the first oh, two yeah. came out? I think the storytelling in the first one is remarkable. Like how they tied everything together is just, it's a great idea for a movie. Yeah, it really is. I just love the idea of a, of a couple's therapist for Bill and Ted. It's, it's very, have you seen Metallica, Some Kind of Monster, where Metallica, like the heavy metal band, went into therapy? No. Yeah, it's a real, it's a genuine true story. They, they really? had therapy as a band. Mm -hmm. And they taped it? Yeah, put it out as a documentary. Wow. Metallica, what is it? Some Kind of Monster. 
Oh, I can't wait to watch it. And there were also rumors of um, Splash coming back. Yes. So we're working on it right okay. now. It's being written. And that would be a reunion, I guess, with Channing Tatum? Yeah, yeah. I've done um, 22 Jump Street with him. He came on my show, Idiot Sitter, and we did like a weird, funny music video at one point that was like right after 22 Jump Street. So I've worked with him a few times now. He is, have you interviewed him? Yeah. He's incredible. Yeah. He's so sweet. He's so kind. And like really down to earth Mm -hmm. for being such a big megastar. So I just look forward to working with him again. Yeah. I think he'd, I mean, he'd make a beautiful mermaid. Oh. Merman. A a beautiful merman. (laughs) But 22 Jump Street, did that feel like an important film for you? Because it felt like that was the film where I'd seen you and stuff, like you'd been good. And I was like, oh, her, I like her. That's good. And then you had that extraordinary villain basically. It was crazy. I was such a fan of the first one. I went and saw 21 Jump Street twice in the theaters, once by myself because Mm -hmm. I liked it so much. And I just thought it was so well done. And and Phil Lord and Chris Miller are incredible. And they're so good about focusing it on heart Mm -hmm. as the center of the comedy. And their friendship together, I, I think, is so sweet on screen. So when the, the I found out there was a second one and I got an audition for it, I was dying to be in it. And I had no idea I was the villain. Oh, really? So I was just auditioning with just, you know, the sides were me just putting down Jonah Hill for being too old <laughs> to be in college. And then when I was at the table read and I still didn't have the part, I, I found out I was the villain and I wanted it even more. And then I got it shortly after that. But yeah, that that really felt like a game changer. I can't believe they kept it that close to their chest for so long. Yeah, I know. No one told me. (laughs) I was reading. I'm like, wait, is it me? (laughs) I had the best time shooting that. We were in New Orleans and we went to Puerto Rico. I was just like young and so excited to be in anything. It's it, yeah, it, and I never thought they would keep as much as they did in that fight scene. The fight scene <laughs> I have with Jonah Hill like yeah. we improvised so much and I thought, you know, we'll use 2 seconds of this and cut out, but they used a majority of what we improvised. <laughs> I was so happy. So what kind of stuff did you add into that scene? We just the whole like Mr. and Mrs. Smith thing, like the whole that just like that we were going to kiss each other, that all came about <laughs> that day and we played around with a lot of that stuff. Because did you train with the Groundlings? Is that right? I did at the Groundlings, wow. yeah, in LA. That's that was basically like my schooling. I moved right. out to LA when I was eighteen. Wow! And I told my parents, I'm like, this will be like my college experience is going through Groundlings, and it really taught me everything. It taught me how to improvise better. It taught me how to write. We were mm-hmm. writing sketches all the time, and just really to be a better actor. It's mm. it's all improvising is all about listening. Most people think you like think of something and then go up there and and just try to be funny but really if you just are responding to the person and and pushing along an idea together mm-hmm. something funny will come <laughs> yeah so how does it work if you go to the groundlings like you know is it like a weekly meeting like how oh it's a it? it's there's four courses basically okay. that you take it's a school first so basic and intermediate are both dealing with just improvisation and learning learning all those skills and But, you know, there's so many people applying that, you know, there's usually like a year in between each class. So so you're, you know, going out and trying to do things on your own, grow and and perform as much as you can so that when you get in class, you're not being, you know, 
you, you don't pitch. have to repeat it. Yeah. So those are the first two classes. The third class is a writer's lab. Oh. So you're learning how to just write for yourself. And at the end of that, there's a performance that Groundlings come to and they they give the director some feedback of like who should pass and who oh, should wow. maybe repeat. And then the last class is um, advanced. And that is basically put on two shows, one halfway through and one at the end of the class. And Groundlings come to that and they vote on who should be put into the Sunday company. From Whoa. there, Sunday company is you perform every Sunday and it's like Saturday Night Live. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you just are always putting up sketches every Tuesday. You find out what gets in Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. You get the costumes together. You memorize Saturday and then Sunday you put on the show. And it's a new show every week and you're producing everything. So it's very costly, but it's the most fun I've had in my life maybe. It's wow. live audiences. Yeah. You get a fresh new audience every Sunday, and you get to try out brand new material. And then you can be in Sunday Company. They vote. They make cuts every six months. So you have to do three rounds of not getting cut. And if at the end they can still say thank you for your time or we'd like you to – we voted you to be a groundling. So wow. it's a very long process. Yeah. But it was one of the best decisions I made with my life. I met all of my friends through it. All of my friends that I have now in my life are, are through Groundlings. That's amazing. Because I went and saw it once in, in L.A. and it was hilarious, obviously. But it is, it's an amazing thing to go through. That There's so many steps. And so many people have come through it with yes. you, right? I mean, yeah. Like I mean, half of Hollywood right now. I mean, most of the people that, that get into SNL mm. went through Groundlings. And um, Kristen Wiig, Maya Rudolph, Will Ferrell, Phil Hartman, even back then. I mean, they just, everyone, Lisa Kudrow. Yeah. There's a lot of people who yeah. went through it. So it gives you, like, if you get through that and you start making films, you've got this kind of, does it feel like you've got a common language? Are there passwords? Can you tell us what they are? <laughs> the password is banana. <laughs> uh, no, there's no passwords, but I, it does feel like you run into a lot of people through it because especially if it's for uh, auditions for comedy, there's usually a lot of people in there. It's wonderful to have done it. It, yeah. it does feel like it's, you know, like my alma mater. <laughs> well, I mean, it basically is. You did it instead of college. Yeah. So, you know. So what's what? What kind of stuff are, are sort of still on your wish list? If you could, if you could pick anything. Oh, number one is playing a witch. I would love to play a witch really? in something. That's very seasonal. Yeah, I know, I know, and it is. Yeah, it's it's near Halloween right now. So I love anything witch related. Hocus Pocus to Witches of Eastwick to. A24's The Witch. Like, I, it doesn't matter what genre. Right. Um, like, if it's, like, a kid's movie or a, a horror drama or mm -hmm. what, I, I just want to play one. I feel like we're overdue a Hocus Pocus remake. They are doing a they Hocus are, Pocus. Aren't they? That's right. I, I think they're doing a sequel. Okay. I, I think. Right. I don't know. So are you calling them every day? Like, how does that work? No, because <laughs> I think they're, they're probably using the original cast. Oh. Which is cool. Darn it. I mean, yes, great, obviously, yeah. but, you know. You know, the cool thing about wanting to play a witch is you can play it at any age. That's because true. Because you can be 90 and play a witch. Yeah. Um, so as long as I get one of those in, I'll be very happy. Well, I think we are out of time. Thank you so much. And, um, and yeah, best of luck with your next marathon. Thank you so much. <laughs> you too. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So that was Gillian Bell talking to Helen. And we will be reviewing Britney Runs a Marathon on next week's show. But speaking of reviews, there's quite a few to get through uh, of this week's films. And we should start with the big one that's already out. It is the sixth film in the Terminator franchise, Terminator Dark Fate, which sees the return of Linda Hamilton as what, what? Sarah Connor. Yeah, it does. But how, you might be asking, why, you might be asking, wasn't she killed off in Terminator 3? Rise of the Machines, 
well, our old friend Retcon has come along. <laughs> Terminator 3? Never heard of it, mate. Nah. What, what is a Terminator Salvation? Never heard of that either. A Genesis? Nope. Terminator? Nope. None of that. Barking up the wrong uh-uh. tree here. This is a film that has made the great, great discovery that Linda Hamilton is the star of the Terminator films. Not Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was originally hired as the bad guy, but Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor. So in this film, uh, however, we don't open with her. Um, a Terminator played by Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s Gabriel Luna is sent back in time, wouldn't you know it? And he comes after an auto industry worker called Danny Ramos, who's played by Natalia Reyes. At the same time, Mackenzie Davis's Grace, an enhanced human from the future, turns up to protect Danny. And so it's essentially a race to get to her first and find out who will protect her and who will try to kill her. In the time-honoured Terminator fashion. In the time-honoured fashion. And I do think that this this film opens with sort of 20 kind of non-stop minutes or more of of just like insane Terminator chasing. Um, I think Gabriel Luna is really, really good. He's, He's on a sort of Robert Patrick kind of level of just steely calmness, but he has the capacity to sort of fake bonhomie uh, when needed as well. He's really, really good in that in that scene. And you just get the sense of the Terminator's relentless pursuit there really, really well in a way that we haven't maybe had in some of the more, more recent films. Um, and then just as all seems lost, um, because he just keeps coming and coming and coming, Sarah Connor turns up. Not and, in a sex way, I have to say. No, thank you. Uh, yeah, it is R-rated, but not for those <laughs> not reasons. Not for those reasons. But yeah, Sarah Connor turns up and uh, saves them just enough time to get away and start the film's plot as they search for a thing that will do the thing and save the world ever. Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but the, um, the interesting thing I mean, about this yeah. film is it absolutely does for Terminator 1 and 2 what Terminator 2 did for Terminator 1. So it says, okay, you did change something. There have been mm. developments, but not quite as much as you maybe wanted. And the future has not progressed in the way that you thought it would. And so Sarah Connor's dealing with some real stuff as a result of that kind of broken promise of the future. Grace comes from a different future than we've seen before, but one where bad things still happen. So Terminator 2 was not useless. It was not a lost cause, but it also wasn't uh, saving the day. I don't think this invalidates Terminator 2 to the extent that Alien 3 invalidates Aliens. Yes. But I also don't think it's far off. And I don't think we could really get into it properly without no, doing a spoiler special, which could. is a bit of a shame, but there you go. But I do think this um, does some interesting things with the Terminator franchise and much more interesting than the last few sequels. So that's what I really engaged with here. I think that Mackenzie Grace is great. The gin, really, the, really the good. Jit's great, yeah. Um, sorry, Mackenzie Grace. Mackenzie Davis gin, as Grace. Yes. Grace <laughs> Davis as Mackenzie Grace. Yeah, is fantastic. She's enhanced, she's really tough. But you see the toll that it takes on her. You see that she is human and not just another Terminator or Terminator-alike person. Sarah is funny and cool and ridiculously tough. And, you know, this isn't a spoiler. He's in the trailer. Arnie is in it. He does make an appearance. Mm-hmm. He is good when he turns mm-hmm. up, but I don't want to say too much. I thought the yeah. action was great. I was really into the scale of it. I think they do take some surprisingly political t- uh, standpoints, which I thought were very effective indeed. But it's it's not always what you think it's going to be, and I like that about it best of all. Yeah, yeah. it mm. had some surprises. There's mm. a few moments that I did not see coming. I thought we were really good. There's a few more moments that I thought I think I think it borrows quite heavily from Terminator One and Terminator Two. Oh yeah, yeah. Deliberately. Um, 
And, you know, sometimes that's in its favour. Sometimes that feels a little bit derivative, I yeah. thought. I mean, you're right. I think it is, it is the third best Terminator mm. film. I just wonder if, if this was actually T3, would we be as grateful for it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like we've been so we're, we're so we're so burned. We're so gaslit yeah. by Terminator sequels that this is now like <laughs> this is as good as we can ever hope for, and it's actually yeah. in in comparison to the last glut of terrible sequels, it feels quite good. I think it. I think it would still be if we hadn't had any of the others. I think it would still be the weakest of the three. Mm. But I don't think it would be like X three week. I don't think sure. it would be mm. that much of a. No, drop. it's it's not, it's not that at all. I mean. Um, we gave this four stars and I can see that I can absolutely see that I don't think it's a, it's a bad film at all I think it maybe at times it approaches creative redundancy towards the end as well it just gets a little bit slam bangy and but there are a lot of little grace notes ha 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 that, uh, <laughs> that pleasantly surprised me you're absolutely right Helen as well in that yes Arnie is in this film and when he turns up he does have some interesting stuff to do some interesting notes to play hmm. uh, but you're right this is I was watching it going, I don't need Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie. Mm. And it's interesting that for the first time, really, that this is a Terminator film that maybe feels that it can function without him. And uh, I like that. I like the, the interplay between the three female leads. I thought that Gabriel Luna doesn't quite have... It's weird because the whatever he is, I don't even want to say yeah. what he is. There's clear T-1000 notes and echoes in mm. that character. And that character is... The personality of that character is a lack of personality. But at the same time, Robert Patrick, there was something about Robert Patrick that I don't think Gabriel Luna, I think he's a little bit blank in this role. But as, yeah. a, as a remorseless, unstoppable killer robot, he's truly terrifying. Yeah. Because it, I think this is the first movie, even since T2, to really kind of capture what it would be like to be yeah. hunted by one of these things, which is it will not stop. <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely <laughs> will know, not stop until, until you, you are, are dead. dead. And it's, uh, it is, it's truly terrifying. I, I, do, I do agree with you. I think his character was a little inconsistently written at times. I felt like the degree to which he can mimic human responses was not entirely consistent across the film. And mm. there are scenes yeah. where obviously he has no need to and therefore doesn't. Yeah. And there are scenes where he can very ably when he wants but it wasn't always consistent in which choices he made I think in, yeah. in, in that respect but I, I still thought he was he was yeah he was just terrifying and that oh, that relentlessness was impressive really tough to talk about this film without doing the spoiler mm. special and we have we're not going to do a spoiler special because we didn't we haven't got an interview with Tim Miller the director mm. and we should mention that as well that one of the reasons why we were excited about this film initially was that James Cameron is back, at least in a story capacity and in a producer capacity as well. And that was exciting. And then Tim Miller came on board from Deadpool and we mm. thought, okay, I'd rather have Cameron direct this, but he's off doing the Avatar sequels. So, yeah, okay, someone who can accurately capture bits of tin flying around, that'll be that'll be fine. And then the first trailer came out and then the second trailer came out and our, our enthusiasm for it ebbed yeah. a little bit, I would say. So seeing the film itself is actually a bit of a pleasant surprise. I'm not quite in the four-star camp uh, along with uh, you. I know a few other people in the office are as well in the four-star camp. But I can see why it is and why you are. And it is, at times, refreshingly entertaining. My overall concern with it, and again, we can't really get into this without going to the spoiler special, uh, is just a general redundancy in the Terminator storyline which is, by and large, we're in the present day, something comes back from the future to kill someone, and then there are people trying to stop them, and that's essentially, maybe Terminator Salvation aside, the plot of each Terminator movie. Yeah. And I just wonder if there's something they can do that's a little bit new, something they can do that's a little, little bit different. If you have Skynet or a 
mm-hmm. evil supercomputer that wants to wipe out humanity. And you have at your disposal a shape-shifting robot that can assume the form of anybody. Would you have an interesting movie if that robot, for example, was sent back in time to try and assume the identity of the President of the United States to launch the war on humanity that starts the whole thing off in the first place? You think Trump's a Terminator. It's the only possible explanation, Helen. Um, Although he's glitching like a motherfucker. (laughs) But um, (laughs) if he is... But, you know, could you do something new with it? Could you do something interesting with mm. it? And this movie does. And the, and the things I really enjoyed about this movie, apart from a lot of the action sequences, are those moments when it actually does push for something new, yeah. mm. whether that's in uh, Mackenzie Davis's character or whether it's in how and why we meet Arnie later on in the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really like that. And I wish it had gone more in that direction. I think Linda Hamilton is very, very good in what she does. Weirdly enough, this isn't really her story. And the movie has to work an awful, work really, really hard to fit Sarah Connor mm. emotionally into the plot of the movie. But, you know, decent stuff all around, I'd say. Better than you were expecting, that's for sure. Uh, we gave this four stars. Four stars then for Terminator Dark Fate. Next up, we have Black and Blue, which is a cop thriller starring Naomi Harris. as a rookie cop who uh, witnesses her colleagues doing something bad and then she records it in her body cam. And, uh, well, they're not happy about that. And so begins a long chase through the night. Mm. John. Yeah. This is a cop thriller almost in a 70s mold with a bit of a, you know, modern spin on it. It's, uh, you know, a, a one innocent cop amongst a sort of sea of corruption, sort of in the like Serpico vein. It's a bit of a thriller. Serpico meets End of Watch. Something like that, yeah. So as you say, Naomi Harris plays Alicia West, who is a, a rookie cop in New Orleans. She sees one of her colleagues doing a naughty murder and then naughty naughty tut, tut, tut. and then she uh, she has to get that footage back to the safety of the police precinct before the corrupt cox and the baddie gangsters try and track her down so it's really interesting there's there's some interesting stuff about modern day politics in this film you know there's a lot of stuff black and blue alludes to this idea that you know blue as a race that police um, consider themselves, you know, almost like one entity. There's a sort of cult-like element to some some parts of policing mm-hmm. in the US, and you know, it, it also leads to that sort of the sort of response to Black Lives Matter as, mm. as Blue Lives Matter. This is what the, as if the some, two are opposed. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, the, it sort of uh, flirts with these 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 themes a little bit. It is ultimately a chase thriller. It's it's you know Naomi Harris on the run. And it does veer a little bit generic, especially towards the end, I think. But um, I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think our, our review was a little bit less favorable. I, I thought, you know, it's it's got some interesting stuff to say and it does it in a really tense sort of gripping way. And yeah. I, 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 I think there's, there's, there's something there. I, I yeah. actually have to agree. I, I would also be a bit more up on it than the review um, I think she's really good got a great cast around her weirdly Tyrese is cast as the sort yeah. of intellectual type and uh, Mike Coulter as the slightly dumber uh, drug dealer yeah. kingpin okay. which feels like casting against type in both those cases to me but anyway I was I was genuinely amazed by Tyrese Gibson in this film I've mm. never seen him in a role like this yeah he was, he was um, a lot sort of like Heavier and more serious than normal. Yeah. Um, Good on and him. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Mike Coulter wears the most ludicrous coat I've ever seen. It's wonderful on him. Um, yeah. He gets away with it because you know, hello. He could he could wear this this pod booth 
table. Yeah, and, and he'd, and he'd look pretty off. good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but they're both but they're both very good, and it's just it's a it's a really strong supporting cast all round, I think. And the pace of this film is is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. They they keep that tension really high, really throughout. So yes, it does It does feel like a bit of a throwback. It feels like a film that could have been made in the 90s. Mm, mm. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because, no, hey, those yeah. films were cinema, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> yep, this sounds good. Who directed it? Uh, Dion Taylor. Excellent. So uh, we gave this one we gave this two stars. Yeah, we gave um, this two stars, but neither of you guys sound like you're in the two star. Account. I would go no. a star higher than that. Yeah, I'd be, personally. I'd be an easy three. So easy yeah. three, easy three. So that's six, six stars then for <laughs> black and blue. That's how that works. And next up, um, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you listened to, um, but again, you should because it's really fun and really interesting. We did an LFF podcast special where we got three actors who had films in the London Film Festival, Ben Mendelsohn, Morford Clark, and Jimmy Fails. And Jimmy Fails is the star an inspiration for the next one we're going to talk about, which is the last black man in San Francisco. And he effectively plays himself in this movie. And it's uh, directed by Joe Talbot, who, again, is a childhood friend. And uh, this is a really interesting film set, you'll be surprised to know, in San Francisco. So the movie's out this weekend. So, John. This is quite a, a lovely one, actually. This is it's it's all about, as you say, Jimmy and his and his friend Mont Monty, played by Jonathan Majors, who go about reclaiming Jimmy's grandfather's house. This beautiful, classic sort of uh, you know the kind of house you get in San Francisco, giant, gorgeous. Uh, I, I I don't know anything about architecture, so I couldn't tell you the style of it. But it it looks nice. Is the it's style a nice of it. house? It's a very nice house. Yes. Um. And so he basically, we start off seeing the film, and he's just painting this house, uh, even though he doesn't live in it. And the people who own it just tell him to go away. He's got this sort of incredible personal deep connection with this house. Eventually, he starts squatting in it, and it's all about really just him trying to reconnect with the city that is almost kicking him out you know san francisco is gentrifying gentrified to, yeah. to the nth degree to to the extent that you know the sort of historically black population have been priced out and in its places very wealthy white people um and so there's there's sort of two films here there's mm. there's, there's a there's a film about a city and it's a real affectionate love letter to a city that is having a bit of an identity crisis you know it's a really beautifully shot love letter to that city mm-hmm. i mean the some of the photography in this film is absolutely gorgeous there's uh, you know just slow motion gorgeous shots of the, of the city and the people in it mm. that, that are like a painting it's it's stunning yeah but then there's also a very personal story about jimmy and his friend monty and just this sort of friendship that they have and it's a very genuine and quite tender friendship mm. um and that's really astonishing actually just to see this sort of male platonic friendship mm. in a way that you don't see very often on screen it's very gentle it's very sort of slow burning mm. not, not a lot happens mm. you know they just tend to sort of hang out together a lot it's almost like you know at the start of the film they're sharing a room and they're almost inches apart from each other uh, and you see these beautiful shots of them just gliding through the city on a skateboard just sharing a, a skateboard together it's almost a film about nothing, you know. It's one of those films where there isn't a huge a narrative driving the whole thing. Um, it's very slow. It's a feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's an atmosphere more than anything else. Right, it's yeah. kind of a mood piece and yeah. very sort of meditative and elegaic. Mm. But uh, I really liked it. I yeah. thought I thought it was it was really beautiful. I think it won't be, f- yeah. I, I don't think it will be for everyone because it is very slow and 
sort of ponderous, but um, but I think it's a real treat. Absolutely, and he's great as well. Jimmy Fails is fantastic. Amazing. And it, yeah, he, he he had acted, if you listen to the uh, LFA podcast, he had acted in some short films and working with his, his friend Joe Talbot. They've been friends since childhood, as I said. But this is his first role. And even though he's playing himself or a version of himself, and therefore you would imagine have easy access to the emotions on display here, there's something about him. There's a real... There's a real magnetism to him as mm. well and uh, I'm delighted to hear that he's going to be making more movies and and uh, and actually you know playing different characters I've had several people tell me this I haven't seen this film yet but I've had several people tell me this week that the score is right up there with sort mm. of Nicholas Bratel that this is the the guy we need to watch out for in future is that is that true I would absolutely say so Amazing. yeah it's it really adds to this sort of poetic feel to the whole thing yeah it's I, I can't recommend it enough I would even personally sneak up towards five-star territory myself. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Score, by the way, is by Emile Mosseri. So, uh, yes, we gave this four stars. Four stars, then, for The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, it's been a good week. Mm. It's a good yeah. week. It's a good week at the pictures. Uh, cinema all over the shop, if you're looking for that kind of thing. And Helen O'Hara is the Adams Family Cinema. <laughs> You know what? I um, So I'm a huge fan of the live action films. I okay. should say that straight up. So this was always going to struggle a little bit to live up to those and my love for those. And I'll be honest, it still struggled. Um, I think the voice cast is is very good uh, for this. You know, Oscar Isaac as Gomez, uh, Charlize Theron as Morticia. I mean, she's no Angelica Houston, but who is? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, uh, Alison Janney. These are really, really great people. Yep. For me, the problem with this was the thing you hear at Pixar is they say there's got to be a reason why this can only be made in animation. Otherwise, why are we doing it? You know, if somebody else can do it, let them do it. There needs to be a reason that this story can only be told by us in animation. And the problem with this one is it never really felt that way. It didn't really feel like it had to be animated. It didn't really feel like that was the only way to do it. It didn't feel visually exciting enough um, to me. Like it felt a bit uh, Despicable Me. It felt, you know, there's there's the oddly shaped characters, but not much more than that, really, by the standards of animation, at least. I mean, of course, you know, things fly about and go up in the air and stuff like that, but nothing, you know, inc- really, really crazy to, to kind of justify it. And and the design was not, to me, exciting enough to really justify doing it in animation as well. I mean, you know, this is it's kind of going back to Edward Scissorhands' kind of design. You've got this pastel-coloured town and then these goth characters showing up. I think it should have been more goth. I think it would have mm. been more exciting. Um and it wasn't quite as funny as I wanted it to be either. So it was, it, you know, I wasn't bored for the most part. I was, I was mostly interested, but I just didn't love it. I'm afraid. I was a bit bored. I'm not going to lie. It was. It, I, I think we can demand better from our family-friendly animations. In, How do we do in, that? in a Pixar thing? Do we, we pick do we food it? with our feet? Do we yeah. pick them? What do we do? I don't know. I, it just. It did feel inessential, and like you say, I just couldn't stop thinking about the Barry Sonnenfeld yes. film the entire way through. It made me. Just, wa- it yeah, just, it made me want to go home and put them straight on yeah, because yeah. you know. And it, it's weird, like, I think Oscar Isaac has been sort of dreamcast as Gomez mm. for a long time, and you finally get him in an Adams Family film, and he doesn't look anything like Oscar Isaac. <laughs> like, he, they've just got some little fat guy, you know. Yeah. Just, like, I, I think in the original comics, I think Gomez was deeply unattractive, and people complained that Raul Julio was too handsome to play Gomez. Okay. And of course, Oscar Isaac is several levels of handsome, even above Raul Julio. So, sure. you know, I get what they were going for when they designed 
Gomez is this, you know, horrible little weirdo in this film. But, I, <laughs> I, you know, at the same time, you look at Morticia and you're a bit like, I mean, I wouldn't put those two together. Yeah. So It's his personality. <laughs> his personality is a delight, is genuinely a delight in the film. Gomez is always a really nice guy. He's, yeah. a, he's a good person to be mm. around. Yeah. But again, just just go watch the Sonnenfeld ones. They're so yeah, so absolutely. much better. They are so good. Uh, what, what's your favorite? What's your first one and the second one? Adam's Family Values oh. or the Adam's Family? There's a correct answer here, so you better get it right. Oh man, I mean, no, honestly, I'm not going to choose. <laughs> I refuse. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, Adam's Family Values has all those great bits in camp yep. and uh, Wednesday cracking a smile after being subjected to 24 hours of straight Disney. I mean, yeah. <laughs> just the most ama- amazing smile in cinema history. Um, it's got it's got Morticia confronting Debbie, mm-hmm. you know, and going, all these we could have forgiven, but Debbie, pastel. <laughs> oh, my God, it's so good. You have, you've hit upon the right answer. Well done. <laughs> it is indeed Adam's Family Values. Go back and watch those movies, maybe instead of watching Adam's Family. We gave this one three stars. Three stars then for the Adam's Family. And then just a couple of last films to, to round off the uh, the review section this week because we got to get cracking. The first one is Monos, which is a fantastic film. I watched it this morning as the director Alejandro Landes would have wanted it to be seen on a computer. <laughs> Bleary-eyed, fresh from sleep. Uh, but I still thought it was fantastic. But if you can see this movie, do see it on the biggest cinema screen possible because it has some incredible visuals in there as well. Uh, so it's essentially it's been billed as... Werner Herzog's Lord of the Flies, and it's not a million miles away. Uh, so it's about a group of child soldiers in a unnamed South American country, and they're in the jungle, and they have a prisoner, and we don't really know who they work for, or why, or why they're there, or what the prisoner's doing there. But we do get to sort of meet them and get to know them a little bit, although some of them die a little bit quicker than you might expect um, in a normal conventional movie. This is not a normal conventional movie by any stretch of imagination. The second half is more of a a thriller as the uh, as the, the child soldiers come under, well, shall we say, they, they face a threat shall we say. Uh, this is absolutely terrific stuff. It is trippy. It is hallucinogenic. It is um, it, it challenging, really great performances as well. It's got lovely immediacy to the uh, to the visuals and to the performances as well. And this is, like I say, if you can see this on the big screen, see it on the big screen because it is ace. Four stars. We gave four stars to Monos. And I'm also going to finish off with another four-star film, which is Western Stars, which mm. is the Bruce Springsteen concert film slash documentary slash revealing peeling back the layers around the man who is the boss it is essentially a concert film in which he and a band including his wife Paris Alpha uh, play his new album Western Stars from start to finish but in his barn on his ranch um, and it's such a beautiful barn and it's such a beautiful album as well and it's brought to life really, really beautifully here uh, by the co-director Tom Simley because this is also Bruce Springsteen's directorial debut. Ooh. He is the co-director of this film and in between each song you get these little interstitial bits where uh, you see Bruce Springsteen revealing the etymology of the song and you know the inspiration for its themes and for the lyrics and whatnot and so it's really interesting. I have to say if you're not a Bruce Springsteen fan Probably best skip it, but if you are, this is absolutely the engrossing and uh, just has a great album 
brought to life in front of your very eyes. And honestly, I would like to see this this treatment given to some of his other great albums as well. It won't happen, but it would be really, really lovely. And how I know it won't happen is because I asked him that question (laughs) on our Bruce Springsteen Western Stars special, which will be up by the time you listen to this podcast. It goes up today, so Western Stars is out today. It's one of those limited release jobbies, but it will be in cinemas for a few days. It's not a one-day-only event movie. It is out today and will be hanging around for a little while as well. So, yes, so Bruce Springsteen came into town recently and Ben Travis who's a huge Springsteen fan and I I went along to talk to both Tom Simney and Bruce Springsteen and we asked him about cinema and you know what guys Mm -hmm. I'm not making this up he referenced Avengers Endgame (laughs) Marty and Ken are furious but there you go it is available right now for you to listen to and there's a whole bunch of other specials for you to listen to as well the aforementioned Michael Cicchino and David Arnold interview is uh, well worth your time if you can find the time for that the final part of our Sky Cinema a special podcast yes. with Alex Sane, Helen and Dave Berry will be up next week and we'll be tackling Christmas movies. In fact, we will be programming your perfect Christmas Day viewing experience and that's a lot of fun also. And finally, our Joker spoiler special will be up uh, at some point over the weekend once I get it done. And it's going to have Todd Phillips on there talking about all things Joker. So that's exciting. And that is it. Hooray. That's it for this week's Emperor Podcast, our first back in the studio. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by... <gasps> this is the fun bit. Can I remember who we booked? Probably not. No. I, I remember one this morning. David Michaud, the director hey. of The King, which will be on Ooh. Netflix as of next week. And Felicity Jones, star of The Aeronauts as well. And we might cram Roland Emmerich in there as well. We'll see how that goes. Wow. Yeah, it is a fun-packed trio of interviews. That might be a duo. Who knows? Anyway, until then, until the auspicious occasion, until we meet again, and I haven't said those words for a while either, uh, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Totally. You off to train for your marathon? I'm off to have a really big lunch, actually. So, um, I mean, in a manner of speaking, I'm carb-loading. Good. In another manner of speaking, I've made a huge mistake. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be up the sixth sister on on Sunday, so to speak, and you'll be like, no, what have I done? What have I done? (laughs) No, it's fine. It's fine. As long as I have my dinner by 6.30, I'll be fine. Okay. All right. And it's goodbye from John Nugent. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm also off to carb load, but... Just, yeah, just, just generally. Just because just, <laughs> just I like food. <laughs> yeah, it's just how I live my life. <laughs> and it's goodbye for me. I'm off to bask in the applause of this wonderful live crowd. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.